You're listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the fifth message in the series, Grown Up Faith. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad kind of kid questions. I grew up in India, devout Hindu family, and I remember going to temple and we would do all these uh, religious ceremonies. I went to Christian college so I could meet a Christian girl and raise a Christian family. As I got older, questions naturally get more complex. I wanted to know more about heaven and I wanted to know more about hell because I needed to know about my, my brother's eternity. In my early 20s, I became close friends with a guy who was an atheist. And he had questions that I couldn't answer. And I wondered what made Christianity different. I had so many questions. I've got questions. I mean, how do I know that what I believe is even real? I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers. So welcome to Grown Up Faith. And we all have questions. Uh, we, we have questions that even extend into the church. Like, why does Jesus care so much about the church? Why is it such a high value, such a big deal? And, and for that matter, we tend to ask questions and the culture does like, now why don't Christians look different uh, from everyone else? And who really anymore needs the church? And on and on the questions go. And so what is God doing? God is, God is he's training our minds He's, he's engaging our hearts. He's aligning our wills with his will because that's what it means really to grow up in our faith. So uh, let me ask you, have you ever been um, half in with something? You, you, you know what I mean. You, you know what I mean, like, like, like half in and half out. Like, like one, one, one foot in, but the other foot kind of out. Like, like, not fully engaged and not fully disengaged. Half in, half out. And, and if you have, you know what I'm talking about, because maybe you've been in that marriage. And, and half in, half out is an exhausting marriage, because you can't really walk together. I mean, you ever have one of those where you wake up and one, and one, one of your legs fell asleep, you laid on it wrong? And so, and so then you're like, you try to walk? And one's normal, one's not. And you're like, man, this, this does, that is an awkward walk. <laughs> That's what marriage is like when, when you're half in and half out. Half in, half out dating, I mean, that's, that's exhausting and draining because you just cycle. You can never get to commitment. It doesn't really go anywhere. Half in, half out stalls out business or teams or sports teams because, because the employers or the players, they're in half. And so for a while, you're getting some of their best, and it starts to build something and take you forward. But the other half of the time, they kind of got their heart and their energy drained off, distracted, thinking about, oh, I'm going to go for another team. I'm going to go build something else. And, and half in, half out, that team never really grows up. That company, that business, that sports team, they never get the results of all in because they don't have all in people. I mean, think about this. Half in, half out is costly. It's costly to your budget. I mean, you set up a budget. I'm going to have financial freedom, man. You lay that whole thing out. If I could just do that. And half the time you do, 
The problem is the other half. When you don't. And so you never really get to any financial freedom because you're really half in, half out when it comes to your budget. It's insane for your fitness, isn't it? Half in, half out. This is my plan. Been working on it since the new year. I've got to get back to some things. And when you're half in, you're like working it. But then the other half, you're kind of out. So you have a lot of effort and little result. By the way, half in, half out is a dead end faith. Just jot it down. Just, it's not in your notes. Just jot it down. If you're taking notes on your mobile device, half in, half out is a dead end faith. Top of your teaching notes. Half in, half out is a dead end faith. I was 11, 12 years old, best as I can recall, when we were part of a church. Uh, our family was church, maybe 200 people total. And uh, our church made a, a major decision. I, was, I, I remember this, that we were going to go uh, do this uh, effort to evangelistically reach spiritually unresolved people. And we were going to take it outside the church. So we rented the, uh, the, the community Uh, gymnasium at the middle school. I mean, this was a big deal. Our church is going to rent the middle school, and we're going to bring in an evangelist, a teacher kind of communicator, well-known, and and, and we're going to invite the whole community in. We want to help people find Jesus. We we know eternity's on the line, and so our church was all in for this. Good call. But I was 11, 12, and and I was half in, half out. I, honestly, I didn't invite anybody, and I showed up with my family, but I didn't show up f- for the reason we were there. I showed up for Julie. <laughs> See, Julie was in our student group, same age, and she didn't know it, but she was going to be my girlfriend. <laughs> now, our families were friends, and our, our dads were leaders in the church, and our, our moms were leaders in Sunday school and the like, and so, so our families were, were we're in the right place. And, and, and when, we, when I showed up, I mean, I came, I showed up, but I, I wasn't there for the reason we were all there. I, I was there to, to hang with Julie. And, 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 and our parents gave us the gift that day. They said, well, you can go sit on your own wherever you want. Oh, this was awesome. Because we're now on the opposite side of the, of the middle school gym. And, and the worship's happening, and that's fine. And, and, and the preacher gets up and evangelist and starts talking to people, and that's fine. But, but I came for other reasons. I am entertaining Julie. I am reeling her in with my charm. And it is working, by the way. <laughs> and I was half listening, because you have to, because the guy is just standing up there droning on like I am. God's humor. And at one moment, something shifted. The sun stood, stood still. The earth stopped moving because the preacher stopped speaking. And when he stopped speaking, there were only two people talking. And he said, with his finger pointed, when you two are done, I'll continue. (laughs) I think that moment is where Southwest Airlines came up with their campaign, want to get away? (laughs) I mean, I think that's where it originated, right there. 
I mean, I was dying, and he wouldn't go on. He just stood there. I'm, I'm finally, I'm, you can go ahead. <laughs> and he went on. The heat, you, I know people don't have laser eyes, but the heat you could feel from all eyes. And our parents on the other side, I knew I would never make it to 13. I mean, I was just, it's never gonna happen. In fact, it came to the end of the service and they had what they would do, an altar call at the end. And we're standing singing a worship song. And of course, I'd never spoken again. I mean, it's just the whole time. Oh, dear God, oh, dear God, oh, dear God, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna die. And they're doing the altar call and it dawns on me. This is how you solve it. I said to Julie, we're going to have to go to the altar. I'm going to have to go get saved again. Here's the deal. It might soothe the evangelist because he saved wayward students. It might soothe the congregation saying it's a darn good thing they went forward. And it might soften the blow when we get home. So let's stagger this. I'll go first. And then you, on the next three songs, come, you come. Well, I went forward. It was magic. I mean, I, it just, you know, they were gracious, and I was forgiven. And, and when I got home, not too bad at all. Son, so glad you got right. Yes, yes. Can't say that for Julie. She never came forward. I gave good advice. She should have followed it. <laughs> she never did become my girlfriend, but, you know, things happen. The reality is I was half in. I showed up, but, but I wasn't there for the reason we were there. And, and half in, half out ruins everything. If this is the season for the next few years, including that moment that I discovered that the only in that matters is all in. The only in that matters is what in? That's the only in that matters. I distracted the work of the kingdom. I embarrassed our church and our family. I was in, but I was half in. And when my parents divorced in that same season, it was in my teenage years that I discovered, hey, my parents were half in and half out on their marriage. No wonder it didn't work. And my dad lived during my teen years, now divorced, single parent home, seeing my dad occasionally, and that relationship didn't go well, as most of you know. And my dad lived half in and half out in his faith. And by the way, half in, half out faith is what kind? Dead end. What is it? It's a dead end. All kinds of people make that their faith, but it's a dead end faith. And by the way, I'm not going after my father right now. Many of you know we had our reconciliation that began in January, 40 years of distance, no meaningful conversation, and we had our sit-down lunch. And I'm not saying this to cast dispersions. This actually became part of our conversation. So in his own words, by his own confession, he said, yes, I, I really was. I was half in and half out with Jesus. You're right, son. What you saw is what was broken, and God broke me during those years. I said, yeah, well, I was formed during those years. By the way, this is how strange it is, reconciliation and what God can do, because God's so all in, and if we would just be all in with him, uh, what he can do. I got a text from my dad. You, don't, you can't imagine how odd it was. It, it, it said, Dad, and I'm like, I, I had to stop for a minute. I didn't write a text, because I'm dad to my kids, and I didn't know what, I, I oh, oh, Dad, yeah. Uh, the last week, hi, Kevin, I love you, just checking in on 
my great-grandson, Braden, uh, how's he doing? And I sent uh, my dad a picture of myself and Braden and a whole note on dad as best we know. Uh, we're convinced Braden's been healed. Now, I don't know what'll happen down the road, but right now all evidence says that the prayers of the people and the mercy of God uh, healed my grandson, your great-grandson. Thanks for your prayers. And he writes back, praise the Lord. Thanks for letting us know. Blessings. And I thought, you know what? I have never sent my dad a picture of anybody in our family ever, ever, ever. And here I am with a man who showed me that all in will destroy everything. And even if you wait 40 years, if you'll just go all in, God can reconcile things no one on earth can reconcile. It's a whole different world. All in. That, that's, really, that's really what God is doing in the big picture. We've been talking through this, so let's look at it. The big picture. The Bible is one story. The Bible is how many? One story. Old Testament, New Testament. And they are a mere image. Five major events in the Old Testament. Five major events in the New Testament. They are a mere image, one of the other. And it all turns on the person of Jesus Christ. And we've been in this story now for a while. But those five major events in the Old Testament begin with God and righteous people in paradise. Then Satan and sin enters. Man, and it messes everything up. The world is judged and destroyed. There's the one world government. And then God establishes a covenant that becomes the old covenant with Abraham. And it's the forerunner to the coming of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes, he takes an unholy people and makes it possible for us to be made holy. A new creation. And so now we're under the new covenant. In fact, uh, in, the, in the book, Grown Up Faith, which uh, many of us are, are in the midst of and reading through, and we're part of a small group, and it's encouraging us, and in, in the chapter where we're talking about this, this whole thing of why, why Christians don't look different, and I, and I have right in the book, parallel, and when you get in there, I want you to just absorb this. It says on one side, old covenant, on the other side, new covenant, just, but, but I want you to hear the scripture. Under the old covenant, which is the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, God's holy people, here's what Exodus says now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession my what treasured possession although the whole earth is mine you will be for me a kingdom of priests a kingdom of who priests and a holy nation a what holy nation that's old testament covenant to israel now mere image now we're in the church jesus has died and risen from the dead he offers a new covenant to us through the sacrifice of Jesus, now you have the 12 disciples, God's holy people, the church. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. Listen to the parallel. But you are a chosen people. He's talking to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A royal what? Priesthood. A holy nation. A what? A holy nation. God's special possession. Do you see it? It's the same that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. See, God was all in so that we could become his church. And who is his church? It is the people who are all in. The people who are what? That's who we are. And so God's been answering the big questions. Oh, we have tons of questions. We all do. In fact, we've been saying this each week all through the series, reminding us, I'll say it again, we have 10,000 questions. Our lives are filled with questions, but they all boil down to how many, church? 10, how many? 10 big questions. 
And when you answer these 10 big questions, you have put the foundation, the worldview, the base for how you'll answer all the rest of your questions in life. Listen, when you're answering one of these questions wrong, it's usually because you got one of the big 10 wrong. Get this right. It is your worldview. It's how you do the core of life. Those questions, let's put them on the screen. Let's remember where we've been and where we're going. Is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? Why can't God just accept me as I am? Isn't one way to God narrow-minded? What does it mean to be forgiven? Here we go. Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? Who needs the church? We'll stop right there. You can see what's coming next week. Why don't Christians look different from everybody else? Who needs the church? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. It's in your notes. Why don't Christians look different from everyone else? Here's what's in your notes, and here's your fill in the blank. Ready? Why don't Christians look like everyone else? We do. Why don't we look different, rather, from everyone else? We do. We do look different from everyone else, and we battle sin instead of settling sin. We're going to unpack that. We battle sin instead of settling sin. But let me go right here. Why don't Christians look different from everyone else? The answer is we do. If it's not clear, tell your neighbor, we do. Just look at your neighbor and say, we do. Let me, let me just explain this. First of all, we look different to God. And that's the first and most important. God looks down and we look different to God. Meaning God looks down and when he sees a true follower of Jesus Christ, he sees us, his church, we already look different. We have been made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. So our cup, our rat poison infested, sin infested, venomous cup has been poured out, cleansed by the work of Jesus, forgiven, and the Holy Spirit is poured in us. We have been made new. We stand holy before God. Do not miss this. This is theologically significant. You have been made holy by God. When God sees you, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus covering you. You are holy before God. That should blow your mind. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You already look different to God. That's first and foremost important. But when people ask this question, what they really mean is, why don't we look different from everyone else on earth? How come there isn't this clear distinction? And the distinction is there. We should battle sin instead of settle in sin. And we're going to unpack that today by looking at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. Take your Bibles across the campuses. John chapter 17. And we're going to look, it's on page 1084 for your worship center Bible. We're going to look at a slice of, of the Lord's prayer. Jesus prayed for his church, for us. And knowing what he prayed gives us some clues to, to answering the two questions today. So John chapter 17, verse 15. And Jesus prayed. Here's what he says. My prayer, he's talking to the Father, my prayer is not that you take them out, not that you take them out of the world, not that you take them out. Everybody say that with me. Not that you take them where? Out of the world. Okay, not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. L listen, as Christians, now we have an enemy, the evil one. He's not going after his own followers. They're, they've already joined him. But you follow Christ, he's coming after you. There's a spiritual war going on. Bigger picture. Now they, referring to fight Christ followers, his church, they, the church, they are not of. Not what? Of. That's, but not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. It is from this scripture that you may have heard people say from time to time, the church is to be in the world, not of the world. I'm going to draw that out because I think we need a conversation here that could be of some benefit to us. Now, if you want to draw this out in your notes, it might be of some interest and help to you. I'm going to draw a little grid, quadrants. And he says we are to be in the world, but some choose to be not in. What does it mean to be in the world? Let's contextualize this. In means to be relationally engaged. In other words, you're in physically in this world, and you're to be relationally engaged. Even though as a Christian, a follower of Christ, you live among sinners, other people who don't share your worldview. So you're in that world. But some would say, oh, no, I'm not going to be in that world. I, I'm, I'm going to be relationally separate. Uh, from everyone. I'm not going to hang around sinners. This in means you're relationally engaged. You're alongside them if that's helpful to you. So we're, but Jesus prayed we're to be in the world, but not of the world. When he says on this side of the equation, of the world really means that of the world is just kind of you settle into sin. You make it acceptable. You, 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 you live like the world lives. Or, and we're supposed to be not of, not of the world, which, which means we would battle sin. We, we would seek to practice being holy and strive to be holy as he is holy. So when Jesus made this prayer for his church, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but it is to me. It helps me think it through that there are at least four groups. There are those that are in the world. That means they're relationally engaged, hanging out with sinners, and they're of the world. They're in the world, and they're of the world. Right here, in the world and of the world. And Jesus called that group worldly. And so there's a worldly group, so to speak, that people in this world, that, that they're in it, they're a part of it, they're relationally connected, but they also buy into the values of the world. They answer these 10 questions in a secular worldview. But there's another group Jesus talked about. That group is over here. They're not in the world. They're not in the world, meaning they'll relationally distance themselves like a subculture. They'll separate from, but they end up settling into the same world values. And that's what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees. We'll talk about it in a moment, but, but that group wouldn't hang around sinners, but at the same time end up living like them. Now, the group that's supposed to be in the world, now see, we come down in the world, but not of the world, is who Christ was. Christ hung around sinners, and that's really who Christians should be. Christ hung around sinners, but he wasn't like them. He was in the world, but not of the world, and that was his prayer for us, for the church. Now, there's another group, a, a group that's not in the world. They're relationally separate. They'll like pull away relation from the world. We won't hang around sinners, and they're not of the world. I mean, they battle sin, and you could just call them uh, the monks, huh? The Christian monks, they're going to go into the monastery and they're going to pull away from everything else. Now, there's value to this conversation if we could just unpack it rather quickly. And I know it's a bit complex to, to unpack it fast, but if you can keep up, it's helpful. Because we are not to be Pharisees. See, why aren't Christians different from the rest of the world? What the world's really saying is, you can't be a Pharisee. And Jesus described the Pharisees because the word Pharisee literally meant separate. Separate. This is the group that wouldn't physically hang around other sinners. I don't know, we only hang around holy people like us. But simultaneously on the inside, they just settled in sin. 
So really, they didn't look any different from the world on the inside. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, you Pharisees, you blind Pharisees, you hypocrites. You separate yourself out. You pull away from sinners. You won't go to their house. You won't be their friends. You won't hang around them. You act like you're self-righteous. But on the inside, you're wicked. You've settled into sin as an acceptable way of life. That right there is the very thing Jesus was praying against. Not so long ago, I was listening to a national news kind of interview, and Jaden and I were listening to it together, and, and someone was was describing their life of living with someone. They weren't married, but I'm living with this person, and I'm ongoing conversation. And then, and then they were talking about, and before that, I had to live in with somebody else. I wasn't married to, to him either, and I lived with him. And, and as she's going on in the conversation, you just it's the world that we live in. We, expect, I ex, we all expect sinners to live like sinners. So, so this is normal. It made sense. What, 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 what caught me off guard, caught us both off guard, is when she said, now, of course, I'm a Christian. I'm just a Christian in the most liberal sense of the word. And that started a conversation with Jaden. He said, what on earth, Dad, is a Christian in the most liberal sense of the world? It sounds like it's a non-Christian. I said, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, listen, what does it mean to follow Christ? Does it really mean settle into sin? Where you just make it acceptable, you're like, well, I'm a Christian, so I just I settle into sin. No, Ephesians 4 talks about this, that now that we've come to faith in Jesus, now that we've been made a new creation, now that we've been made holy, we put off our old self and put on. There's a grow-up process. You're going to put off the old self and put on the new self. you got some stuff to work through. We all do. That's what growing up is. The grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ was to free us from sin, not to free us for sin. Thanks be to God, we don't have to live in it. Because, listen, sin is destructive, period. In the life of an unbeliever or believer, sin still destroys. And any definition of grace that makes sin seem harmless is not God's grace. Sin is serious business. It's a thing that destroys you, and he loves you so much, he, does, he, he wants to free you from it. So we don't live in sin, meaning we don't settle into sin. We battle it. So we can be tempted like anyone else. We can even stumble, fumble the ball, or fall into sin. But when we do, we're like, oh, I, no, I'm not going to do that. We, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, help me. We, you you want to get out of it. You don't want to settle into it. So there's a growing up process of putting off and putting on. We're all in that journey. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're all in to put off our old self and put on our new self of being made renewed in him. Now I wrote in the book about some of my issues. I have a few. Some I'm willing to talk about, others you watch and you'd like me to talk about. But now I don't, I, nobody has it all together. But I, I have the gift of impatience. Anyone else? Usually evident when I'm driving. Let me do it again. Anyone else? I thought I'd get more. I, mean, I, just, I have the gift of impatience. Grew up in a family that, that, that demonstrated an anger and a temper in a volcanic and overly expressive way and, and an unhealthy way. And yet scripture says I'm a new creation. And a new creation has self-control. Love is patient. This is not working for me on the inside. I mean, I can make it work until I got married. And, and as long as Marsha would be like I want her to be, we wouldn't have so many issues. But she insists on being herself. 
and that stirs anger. And so early on, we had a lot of issues of losing temper. This left lane thing, If Jesus comes back and I'm in the left lane, I might not make it. <laughs> not sure. We were on 985 and, and, and literally passed under the sign, the big sign that said in digital letters, slow traffic, get in the right lane. As we pass the sign, I'm behind the person going under the speed limit. Why they're in the car, I have no idea. If you have nowhere to go, why are you going somewhere? So I want to pray for you, but it's not my first response. <laughs> and I know I'm a new creation, but I don't feel like it when I'm behind them. By the way, I know what hell would be for me. <laughs> Left lane, slow drivers for eternity. <laughs> I mean, that would just be my hell. Now, I know I got stuff to work through. I'll, I'll have to work through that my whole life. I, 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 I've grown, I've matured, I've, I've, I've practiced stuff. God, if you read the book, you'll see the detail. We all got stuff to put off and put on because we battle sin. We don't settle in sin. I knew I had work to do. Even 12 years ago when my three-year-old Jaden, from the back seat, without interrupting his plane, we pulled onto a road. I'm not even sure I remember what I said. I just remember what came from the from the lips of a three-year-old. Get off my dad's road. <laughs> I'm like, huh, I think I trained that in him. <laughs> because after all, it is my road, right? I mean, it's my road, isn't it? I mean, this, it was built for me, it was built by me, it was for me, there's nobody else on the road. If I get on the road, y'all get off the road. I mean, come on, that's the way life's supposed to be. No, I got some issues. <laughs> I got stuff to work through. We all got stuff to put off, but stuff to put on. Here, here's my point in this. Love is patient. The fruit of the Spirit is love, self-control. I got stuff to put off and put on. I'm in a growing process. It's not that I can't be tempted. It's not that I wouldn't struggle. It's that I don't settle in and accept it. I battle it. That's what makes me different. See, transformation is when you take the big principles of God and you translate them into the little practices of life. That's real transformation. In 1 John chapter 2, John was writing to the church and he said, I write this to you so that you would not sin. So that you would what? So that you would what? Can't hear you at the other campuses. So that you would what? Not sin. I mean, that's the disposition. It's what makes us different. That, that we would not sin. We're not Pharisees, we're not hypocrites. We, we, our goal is not sin. But then he goes on to say in, in verse 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, but if anyone does sin, now he's talking to believers, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is our atoning sacrifice, and not only for our sin, but the sin of the whole world. So when I stumble, when I fall into sin, when I misrepresent Christ, I immediately have the sense of, oh, that's not like Jesus I quickly, oh, God, forgive me. Right in the moment, oh, God, forgive me. I, just, I breathe a prayer of confession, forgive me. Move right on. Listen, I didn't in that moment lose my salvation. I'm like, well, there it is. I'm going to hell. And at the same time, 
Being a Christian is not a license to sin. Let's get our theology right on what it means to grow up. By the way, you're not a hypocrite as a Christian because you demonstrate imperfect and occasionally stumble into sin while you're learning to put off the old ways and put on the new ways. That's not hypocrisy. That's imperfection. Hypocrisy is when you claim to be righteous yourself. Self-righteous is hypocrisy because you didn't become righteous on your own. Jesus did that work for you. And you don't walk in righteousness on your own. God isn't leaving me on my own to manage my temper. The Holy Spirit is in me and puts a power in me for a capacity I would never have on my own. I'm not a hypocrite when I stumble into sin if I quickly confess it and I don't want to settle into it. And I don't claim to be self-righteous. And hypocrisy is when you practice sin, settle into it, and start calling it righteous. That's hypocrisy. And the world needs to see a different picture because we're not, we're not to be of this world. We're not to be like this world. Now that's good thinking. Get that right. So we can go on to the next question. You're like, I hope so. His thing will never get done. Next question, who needs the church? Glad you asked. Who needs the church? The answer is we do. Who needs the church? Of course we do. In fact, we live for others. Say it with me. We live for others. See, the church is people, not a place. So you are the church. People say, well, who needs the church? I'm like, well, you are the church. What are you talking about? The church is, is people, not a place. And Jesus loves the church. He died the church for the church. He rose from the dead for, to, to build the church. He's the head of the church. He calls the church his bride, and you are the church. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are the church. And then you gather a local expression of the church wherever he put you geographically and wherever he knits your heart, and we're a part of the church because we need each other. Because we what? Well, of course we do. We need each other. Wait, you can't do this on your own. You weren't designed to do this on your own. And so make sure that it's, you need the church because you understand if, if you as a Christian, this is who we're supposed to be, if you don't hang with the church to help you battle sin and live in a world of sinners, listen, you'll just get sucked right into worldly. You, you need the church. We help each other. We can't join worldly. Look what it says in, in, in John 17 when Jesus prayed for, for this kind of oneness for us. We'll put it on the screen, this, this oneness prayer of Jesus. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be what, church? One as we are one. I mean, this church thing, that we would be one, knit together, that we would be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, right down here, but not of the world. We would be Christian. And we need each other because there's a distinct love. Look what Jesus commanded from John 15. Here's the next scripture. I want you to see it. This, Jesus said, is my command. Say it with me, everybody. What? Love each other. This wasn't the suggestion, it wasn't a good idea. It was, this is part of the definition of who we are to be all in. We are all in in loving one another. We are all in as Christians to live for others because we need each other. Jason and Amy Underwood, 
12 stoners, been here for a while. I've been going through a really tragic situation, heartbreaking. And Jason Berry knows them and sat down with them this past week and had a bit of a conversation. Here's just a slice of the interview, a reminder that we need each other. So I'm here with my friend Barry Underwood. Man, I've known you for 10 years. We launched this Flower Branch campus together 10 years ago. That's crazy right, enough. that's right. And uh, we sit here on site at Flower Branch together one more time. And uh, you've been at 12 Stone for a long time. How long have you been here for? Yeah, 17 years. How have you survived 12 Stone for 17 years, man? What you been a part of? We and my wife both serve. Um, I run the parking team here. Uh, mm -hmm. She's on the prayer team. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've been involved in and leading small groups for all of that period. What, what started our conversation today, Barry, is you and I bumped into each other here at Flyer Branch three, two, three weeks ago, and uh, we started the conversation yeah. that uh, this has been a tough 10 weeks for you and Amy, and you reminded me uh, about 11 years ago now, my mom was in a terrible car accident, traumatic right, brain injury, right. and uh, our stories are paralleling really uniquely right now in that your son experienced a traumatic brain injury 10 weeks ago. He was in a motorcycle accident um, down in uh, Dublin, Georgia. He was wearing a helmet, but hit his head on a bumper um, going real fast. And uh, he, he has a traumatic brain injury, sloshed the, sloshed the brain. But he was in a, uh, a vegetative state, mm. comatose. Uh, and the doctors told us that this, we, this is what we need to get used to. It's tough. Um, he's, he's got a trach, unresponsive. How did the church respond in the midst of this difficult season for your family? The church has supported us like crazy. Mm. Uh, they have, we've had people from small group drive to Macon to pray with us. Mm. We've had people buying us uh, food bags and therapy chairs. And uh, one of my small group members happens to be a doctor of physical therapy. She hears about it and came down and took it upon herself to bring an assistant. And for an hour and a half every day for two weeks, she gave him physical therapy and he, he blossomed from it. Mm. She sat him up. He's, he's in a, a cast because he broke six vertebrae and whatever, but sat him up and, and now he's, uh, it, it sounds small, but he scratches his own nose and, and uh, sips from a cup and, and mm. it just... Uh, responds, he can shake his head yes and no. Mm. I mean, these are minor things, but from where he was to where he is now in just 10 weeks, it's, it's, it's just prayer, man. Prayer Thank works. God. Thank um, God. We've almost had too much. They're, they're, <laughs> wanting, to, they're wanting to feed us and, and, and carry us and, and serve with us and serve mm. for us. And, um, Isn't it beautiful? I, I remember the same experience where I was always on the other side. Uh, I got a right. chance to serve people and go. I got to show up when people had issues and it was always, I felt great doing it. And then I, suddenly I find myself on the other side and you just, you realize the beauty of the local church coming alive in the midst of tragedy. As the storm comes through, we got people surrounding us, mm -hmm. um, blocking the wind and keeping us from falling over and, mm -hmm. and shielding us from the rain. And, and uh, it's just been a, it's been a great thing. I, I don't know how anyone would do it without this kind of community surrounding them. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing your story. And that's weighty. In fact, across the campuses and online, can we just take a moment to pray for their son?
Would you just bow your heads? Would you whisper a prayer? This is what the church does. We need each other. We don't make this on our own. Father, we pray over Chris Nass that you would cover his life and his God, right now he's in some of the, the most traumatic places he's ever been. The physical threat, the brain injury. Um, God, you understand what doctors cannot. You can speak a word by the power of your name and bring life. Would you do this as you progressively have been demonstrating day after day, week after week, bring healing to his mind and his body. May this therapy build strength. May we as a church love on the Underwood so well that not only are they loved, but we experience this oneness we were created for. Cover this family. Let this story rise for your glory. Be gracious to them in the times when they most need your hand over them. Love them well through us. And for all of us, God, keep growing us up to be your church. Because we really do need each other. In Jesus' name, everyone agreed saying. Just tell your neighbor, we need each other. That's the point. We need each other. And, and listen, of all the imperfections of the church... We need each other, and we live for others. And therefore, honestly, that includes more than just us inside the church. It includes those outside the church. It's why right over here, there was a movement in the early 300s where the church became uh, the church of Rome. And when it became the church of Rome, everybody became Christian, which meant nobody was really Christian. And so there's a season of time where, where monks set Apart, they, they physically got away from everyone relationally. They went out and got on their own. Their goal was to battle sin and be more like Christ, but they did it in a way that they're separate from. So they're not really connected to sinners. They're not engaged with people. They're, they're physically, relationally disengaged, even though they're committed to not being of the world. And, and, and that's not Jesus' prayer, honestly. Just stay with me. I'm not going after Christian monks. What I'm saying is the prayer of Jesus was this, that you would be in the world, relationally engaged with sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners but you would not be of the world. You would be of Christ. You would battle sin. This is where we're to live. This right here is, is where we are witnesses to the world because we know what's on the line. Listen, next week we're gonna pick up this conversation. I mean, is hell real? Is heaven real? What about eternity? And Jesus gave the answer. Yeah, it is. That's the short answer. And because we know what's on the line, we care about people who are far from God. So we reach out. We're, we're witnesses. Next week, I'm going to give you a, a process, kind of a map, an idea. of If eternity is on the line and we know what's at stake, what would it mean for us to be all in and live for others? See, when I was 11 or 12, I was half in, half out. It embarrassed the church. Didn't help me, didn't help anyone. That's just what dead end does. And, and maybe leaves us asking some questions. Maybe you should ask yourself some questions. Are you half in or half out with God? I wrote these down for you. 
Just listen. Are you settling into sin or are you battling sin? You know, where have you settled into sin? And God would say, oh, you got to start to battle that. Are you living for self or are you living for others? And what would happen if even this week, three times a day, maybe after breakfast and then after lunch and after dinner, you asked yourself, how could I practice living for others? What might change in your life if you would just live for others? As I turn the service over to the campus pastors, we want to pray over us for God to help us to be all in for him. Come on, let's sing it loud together, church. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song you could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Yes. Worthy of every breath we could ever bring. We live for you.
because he's worthy, because he's the only one who's worthy. We're gonna make a declaration today in this place. Come on, let's sing it together. Sing Every voice, sing it loud, say. Alone. 